0: And we'll read verse 18 and 19 this morning. Philippians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19. Paul says here, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. And his glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we uh, look at this passage. Father in heaven, we uh, once again thank you for this morning. We thank you for the spirit that we feel, that we sense, Lord, in our midst. We thank you for his leading, and we thank you, Lord, for this congregation here this morning. We thank you once again, Lord, that we have a salvation which has brought us together in this way, that we might rejoice together. Um, not only in your presence, Lord, but we rejoice in your word that you've given us. And we seek this morning to understand it more fully. Lord, that your spirit would be our teacher and our guide, that we might understand the things that you would have us to know, Lord, that we might um, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ this morning. We thank you once again for all things, and we just pray that you will be blessed once again through this service. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Through certain laws we have in our country, it's a crime. It's a crime to lie about the contents of what's in a cereal box. So, what you get in your in your cereal, the box that you buy, they have to declare truthfully what's on the outside um, about what's. What's on the inside, if you understand what I'm saying? It's against the law to say something's on the inside that's not actually there, or that something else is in there um, when it's you know, when it's when they're saying something else is actually there. The laws demand that the outside of the package tell the truth about what's on the inside. Deceptive packaging is illegal in this country. And truth in advertising is there to protect consumers, to protect the public. And a good example of this is, for example, the warnings they have on cigarette packages now. So they'll say, you know, cigarettes or smoking causes cancer, heart disease, and all these sorts of things. So it'll actually tell you before you go and buy it, this is what you're doing to yourself, okay? Because there's enough scientific evidence to prove that those are the results. Unfortunately, there are no such laws about people. What you see on the outside, the package that you have on the outside, is not necessarily what's happening on the inside. No one's really required to tell the truth about what's behind the facial expressions, the speech, the clothes, the actions. Um, No one is forced to tell you what they're really feeling what they're really thinking, what they're planning. And can you imagine a world if it did? Can you imagine that everything you felt, everything you were thinking, really, everything you were planning in your head, was displayed in some sort of a, uh, <laughs> a thing in front of you? wonder what sort of a world we'd have then if everyone knew exactly what the other person was feeling about them and about everything else. People have deceptive packaging. It's common. The way that they appear to other people is commonly not the way they actually are on the inside. It's not only an accepted part of our culture, in fact an accepted part of the world in general, but it's an expected way of life. that you, go and you don't tell people exactly what you have in here, that you don't tell the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And as a result, people become experts at this type of trickery. We become experts at putting on a facade, of putting on a face that doesn't really reflect what's on the inside. And while personal deception is actually expected and common in the world, unfortunately, it's also present in the church. It can't be helped. It's there. It's been there from the beginning, and it's still here today. And the Bible teaches us that while there are sheep in the church of God, there are also wolves masquerading as sheep, you understand. They're dressed as sheep. They look like sheep, but they're actually wolves. And this is where Paul advises the Philippians to mark those people who don't exhibit the characteristics of sheep. He says that we must learn to mark those who seem to be Christians but deny by their actions the truth of the gospel by their deeds and their relationship with Christ by their actions and words. It says to mark them, be careful of them and in the church we need to constantly be on the lookout for things which may threaten church doctrine threaten unity threaten the, the walk of, of Christians who are who are growing in the faith now Jesus warned his disciples on many occasion about the yeast of the Pharisees and he says be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees which was genuinely hypocrisy So they looked on the outside to be one way, he said, but deep down they were actually something totally different. (coughs) So we're talking about examples. And there's an old French proverb that says that nothing is more contagious than a bad example. Because when a bad example is there, people will generally follow a bad example more readily than a good example because good examples tend to be harder to follow. Bad examples tend to be more easy to follow because they generally line up with the flesh. Today's message is about looking for the fruits of a person to determine whether they're worth following as an example for us or whether they're worth avoiding and marking to say, that's not what I want to be like. Okay, So let's recap a bit about what um, Paul has been instructing us to do. Last time I spoke to you, in the previous verses, about Paul saying that we have Christ as our perfect example and we want to be like him as much as we possibly can, but in order to, to help us to attain to to that, that there are people that we can look to within the church who are a help to us, an example to us of how we might be able to get there, who are examples to us in their daily life, who have who have overcome struggles, who have actually... Um, uh, who have actually gone through difficult times, and if we're going through a difficult time, we can learn from those things as well. So leadership in a church, and this is what being a leader is about, leadership in the church is highly regarded in the the scriptures. Why? Because there's there's not enough. It's a rare thing for people to be leaders in the Christian faith. And it's so critical for younger Christians to be able to have other, other more mature Christians to look at, to emulate, to follow in the same path that they're going. Because sometimes to be like Christ is a thing that seems so far away. That you need people to come alongside you and say, look, I'm, I'm here, but look, I'll show you how I got there. And I'm continuing to work my way to be like Christ. Because even though Christ is our ultimate goal, He's our ultimate prize for what that which we seek, it's sometimes difficult when we see his perfection. When you have something that's that's completely perfect, and we compare him to where we are now, you look and you say, Well, that's how far I've got to go. I'm so I'm so far away from, from where he is that sometimes can, we can actually become discouraged. So we need people around us we need examples to be able to say look he's going through this he's going through that he's actually obtaining and getting closer to the lord because of the efforts if he can do it or she can do it then I can do it as well so we are constantly to edify one another to build up one another in the faith and paul says to to make each other almost jealous of each other to do good works you like that i like that Make each other jealous to do good works. The more I do, the more I do for, for the Lord. I want people to, to covet that, to want to be more like Him. And if He can do it, I can do it as well. That's one coveting that it's actually not bad in the Bible. To covet good works. There there is a necessity for leadership in the church. There is an ex- a necessity for you and you and I to understand that we are examples to people around us. So when people see when we fall down, how we get up. When people see how we how we overcome obstacles in our own lives and how we how we achieve certain things, they look at us or well, sort of an example of you and I this morning to those people around us. That's what it means to be a leader in the church of Christ. To be able to not only preach the word from behind a pulpit, from behind a microphone, but to also be able to live it in a way that people can see it in our lives. So Paul advised us previously that we should seek to follow good examples. We should seek to follow those who are more mature in the faith, who actually are ahead of us in this particular race, and look at how they're getting there and emulate them. Learn from other people's... There's, a, there's, a, there's a, a saying that goes, it's a, um, a, a wise man who actually learns from his mistakes, but it's a wiser man still who learns from other people's mistakes as well. Paul advises to look at other people as examples and begin to emulate them, follow in the way they're going. But now, in addition to this, he actually gives us a stark warning he gives us now the opposite thing, which is never a nice thing, is it? When you think of it, he actually says to us, "Mark those ones who aren't really following after Christ, and do the opposite. Look at their example, and choose not to follow it." And this is a common one. You might think this is a really a, a bit of a uh, uh, something that's out of the blue here, but it's actually not. It's so common throughout the, the New Testament and the Old Testament. It's surprising when you start to dig a few more scriptures. I've already mentioned too, Matthew 7.15 says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Okay, so they look like a prophet. They're dressed up like a sheep, but they are ravening wolves. Then Matthew 16.6 says, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. That's, once again, things like such as hypocrisy. But turn with me to another couple, Mark chapter 12, verse 38. (coughs) Mark chapter 12, verse 38 says, And he said unto them in his doctrine, Beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces and the chief seats in the synagogues and the uppermost rooms at feasts, which devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, these shall receive greater damnation. You see, it was an act. And if there were Academy Awards for these sorts of things, they would have won them. Because... Everything was done for a pretense. Everything was done for a show. And if I, and if, and if I was a Pharisee of this particular ilk over here, I'd, I'd be doing certain things to gain the praise of people. You know, when you're walking through, it says the marketplace. A lot of people to say, hey, so-and-so, Pastor Frank, hey, good to see you. They just loved it. They loved the attention. So, in essence, who were they worshipping? Who was their God? God was himself. Turn to Colossians chapter 2 verse 8. Now there are literally dozens and dozens of these particular warnings that are given and a lot of them actually point to the same things but they give us different angles on this particular warning. Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 says beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. You see, in the Philippians chapter we're reading, Paul remember warned us about those who were the Judaizers, people who said, "Oh, I'm a Christian, I believe in Christ, I believe he died for the sins of the world, I believe he rose again on the third day, but guess what? That's not enough for you to be saved. You need to now do a few other things, which we'll, we'll tell you, we'll share with you. You have to be circumcised. You have to follow certain rules and regulations that existed in the Old Testament. And if we look at that sort of thing today, um, having come from the Catholic Church, it's probably the closest thing I can, I can compare it to. Judaizers are probably very similar to, to Catholicism. Because Catholicism, in essence, has kept the priesthood, while they say to you they believe in Christ, they believe that he rose on the third day, they believe that he's a son of God, born of a virgin, they'll tell you all the things that, that you know is true in scripture. The sad part of the whole thing is they'll also tell you, but in order for you to stay saved, you have to, you have to do a certain number of other things. And they call them those things, sacraments. Okay, so you have to be baptized as a baby. You have to receive Holy Communion. You have to have confirmation. You have to go to the priest to be, um, to be forgiven of your sins. You have to do a certain number of other things. Otherwise, you, know, you could lose that very thing that you were given. It's the closest thing we've got to Judaizers today. Paul warns Christians many times to watch out. To be sober, be vigilant, be on guard for people who look like Christians, who are in the actual church, who talk like a Christian, seem to walk like a Christian, but deny the Lord in their lives. They deny pure doctrine. They deny, they deny salvation by grace through faith. And ultimately what these people do is they cause division, confusion in the church, and that can make a whole lot of damage. People who, instead of being a Christ-like example for you and encourage you to to follow after him and have him as your perfect example in your life, seek to turn you away from that simplicity to follow rules, regulations, or turn you around the other way to actually follow the world. So the question I had when I read this passage is, if that's such a, a, a dangerous thing, why doesn't Paul actually say, Keep away from the church altogether. A lot of hypocrites in the church, aren't they? I mean, why don't just why doesn't Paul just say, "Look, stay in your home, meet with your family. That way, you won't have any danger of being influenced by these bad examples." I mean, why don't you grow in Christ by just reading the Bible for yourself? I mean, we believe as Baptists that we can be taught directly from the Bible, don't we? We believe that we, if, if you have the Holy Spirit of God, you can actually learn from the Word of God yourself without having to have it taught to you by someone else. I mean, if we can believe we can learn directly from the Bible for ourselves, you know, why, don't, why doesn't Paul just say, stay at home? Teach yourselves. Teach your kids. And many people do. Many people have actually come to the conclusion that it's better to stay away from a church or to stay so aloof from the church that they don't want nothing to do with it. I can't count the number of times people have told me they do not need church. It's it's very common nowadays. And generally people who say that have had some bad experience in the church or something's gone wrong. And so what they do is they, they, they choose never to go to church again. But it all boils down to what you think church actually is. I have to wonder sometimes when people reject going to church or reject the church altogether because they say there's too much hypocrisy. Because I've heard that, that once again. Oh, it's, churches are full of hypocrites. Haven't you heard that? I'm sure you have. How novel. How biblical is it you know, to leave a church because there's hypocrites in there? I mean, there's plenty of imposters in there as well in the, midst of, in the midst of churches. And, of course, I wouldn't want to be mixed up with people like that, with hypocrites and imposters and all those sorts of things. You know, otherwise, I might get tainted with the same brush, you understand? There are so many problems in churches. Look at all the divisions that we see. Look at all the problems that happen in churches. It's on the news every day, almost. There's so little perfection there. There's so much sin, I really can't put up with it. So what I'll do is I'll leave. I'll leave. I'll live with myself. My more advanced self. My more perfect self. My standard, which is so much higher than everyone else's. How utterly godly, holy and scriptural. I'm being facetious. This is... This is pure demonstration of ungodliness, of carnality, of self-centeredness that it's actually hard to match. and why do I say that? What a person is saying when they reject going to church is that they essentially are better than everyone else in the church. they're better. they are too holy and pure for their eyes to see such sin. they don't want to dirty their hands with trying to help other people who struggle with sin and who need the assistance. And they are willing to break the commandment of God to satisfy their own ego and superficiality as a Christian. This is superficial Christianity. And it's prevalent in our day. There's plenty of it out there. It's superficial. Because real Christianity is willing to go the extra mile for those who are in need. Especially those, the Bible says, from the household of God. True holiness does not turn away from a brother who is sinning. It doesn't abandon them. It doesn't let them go. True holiness seeks to help. It seeks to edify, to build, to rebuke where it's necessary. To love those in the family of God. Because if there is some achievement that you've reached... If there is some level of spirituality that you have, then the Bible teaches that you have a, an obligation to use that for the betterment of your brothers and sisters in Christ. An obligation. Oh, but I've been offended so many times in church. People are always offending me. You now, the Bible teaches in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your, your Father forgive your trespasses. Someone who has decided that it's not worth going to church cannot forgive. Has come to the point in their life where they say, not worth forgiving those people. So my action my actions will say, speak speak volumes and say that these people aren't worth forgiving or spending time with. But true holiness forgives when it's offended. True holiness seeks good even to an enemy and someone who seeks to do evil against you. True holiness does not forsake the sheep to the wolves that are in the church. Real Christianity defends, it protects. And defending and protecting take courage and effort. This is not just a pastor's job, is it? Because each of us have been called to be our brother's keeper. To be our brother's keeper means we are his protector or her protector. It takes effort and it takes risk. If you look at Paul's letters to the early church, you'll find them filled, absolutely filled with warnings, rebukes, discipline. The early church was filled with hypocrites. Yes, did you know that? The early church was filled with hypocrites, sinners, struggling Christians who had lost their way. Did Paul give up on them? No, and thank God he didn't. Thank God he didn't because we have the epistles that we can read. Because of the love that he continued to show for them. He didn't give up on them. I mean, you've read the accounts of Jesus' interactions with his disciples. I mean, his disciples were perfect from the beginning, weren't they? They really showed their level of spirituality from day one. They were so far advanced or so far ahead of everyone else around them. Scripture is a, uh, is a record of their super spirituality. No. If scripture is a record of anything, when it comes to the disciples who followed Christ, it's, it's, it's a record of how far they had to go, of how many problems they actually had, of how much, even he said, how long do I have to put up with you guys? Even the Saviour got frustrated with them. When, that, when he was telling them one thing, they were actually thinking something else. Did Jesus give up on them? No. He persisted. He persisted. He spent time with people in this world that other people had given up on. He, had, he, had, he would have meals with tax collectors, prostitutes, publicans, sinners. He, these, these people that the world had given up on, that these religious leaders had said, these people are not worth it. We're not going to dirty our hands. We're getting anywhere near them. Jesus never gave up on them. What about in the church? Do we give up on people within God's family? Have we been called to give up on the church? No. We've been called to persist. Part of growing in Christ is dealing with difficulties like this. It's helping one another to overcome obstacles in our lives. It's helping people to see that are blinded by something. The church will always have sinners and imposters and wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. Otherwise, Paul's warnings here would be obsolete today. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, verse 47, just to reiterate this point. Matthew 13, verse 47. Again, it says here, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which, when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into the vessels, but cast about away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from the just and shall cast them into the furnace of the fire and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Hang on a sec. This net, which gathers these different fish, is only separated at the end, not during the time of the catch. You see, we are during this catch period and it's only when the net is full and dragged to the ocean is when the final um, judgment comes. But until, this, until that day there, guess what? We're in the net with other fishes who are not necessarily Christians. The church will always attract many different types of people. But in the end, it's God who chooses between the good and the bad. Understand that in the church, always from the beginning till now, it's always been a mixture of saved and unsaved. Nothing's ever going to change. You'll never find a church that is absolutely perfect with every person in there saved and every person going along the spiritual journey of growth. Because if, if the early church wasn't like this, when you had the apostles and the disciples and, and all those amazing people, if the early church wasn't like that, what about after 2,000 years, of corruption, of difficulties, of splits. The Bible says to us, though, that for now we must mark those who are good, learn from their example, and mark those who are wayward and also learn from their example. In all these things, we have Jesus as our perfect example and the scriptures to help us to teach how to judge. The bottom line with this whole thing is that you cannot say that you love God but don't love His people as imperfect as they are. True love sacrifices self to help others. I'll just read you a quick passage from uh, 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us not let us love one another for love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not, which is love your brother, knoweth not God, for God is love. Loving your brethren is loving your fellow brethren is not leaving them to the mercy of wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. This is why we must seek, all seek, every one of us, to walk as closely to the Lord as possible in our lives. Because we have been called to discern the good from the bad, choose people to emulate and follow, but also be an example to those who need Another example to follow as well. That's the pattern the Bible teaches us. So Paul says in Philippians 3.18, For many walk, many, not just a few, many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. You know, one of the most heartbreaking things, to fathom is when someone who has been a member of a church, who has professed faith in Christ, shown themselves to understand the gospel, and turns away. That's one of the most heartbreaking things you can imagine. How terrible to be that close to the kingdom of God, to look like a follower, to attend meetings, take part in the ministries even, but then to deny it all. And this is the lesson that every one of us must learn. And it's that there will always exist those who look like Christians. Those who say the right words. Those who seem to do the right things. But the bottom line is that they were never Christians to begin with. And the Apostle John struggled with the same thing as well. The Apostle John said that there were those who left the church. Who were now attacking the church. And he said, if they were of us, they would have stayed with us. He goes, but because they were never, never of us, he goes, they left. The seed that was sown never came to produce real fruit because the ground was either too shallow or the lust for the world too great. Either way, they had never received the spirit of God which would have guaranteed their success because the Spirit is our seal of redemption until that day that we're redeemed by Christ. And Paul says here that there were many, many like this in the early church. Many who had, in his words, become the enemies of the cross of Christ. And it didn't necessarily mean that they had rejected Christianity because they were probably still saying, I'm a believer. But he knew that they weren't. He knew that by by the things that they were doing, that they actually weren't believers at all. They had rejected Christianity by their actions. And even though their words said something else, their doctrine was wrong enough to deny the salvation which comes by grace through faith. Paul was so affected by this that while he was even writing these words, he had tears in his eyes. He was weeping. If it was me, I would have got angry. But his heart was broken by it. It broke his heart because he knew the terrible tragedy it was for someone to be that close to salvation, to be right at the door, at the gate, and never step through and receive it. They were playing a facade. There was a facade going on. They were trying to earn their own way to heaven. They put all the... the, 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 the things in front of them, they, they looked like they were doing everything just right. But deep down, things were not right. So close to salvation, but to miss the most critical point was to lose it all. In addition to this tragedy, Paul's heart was broken for younger Christians who would, who would be attacked by these people. And drawn into confusion and drawn away from the simplicity that we have in Christ. He knew that Christians who were a bit unstable would end up wasting and consuming their time with these errors, getting caught up with them, then having to be taken out of them. He knew the struggles that would, that would take place. And Paul repeats this same warning to the Romans. Turn to Romans chapter 16, verse 17. Romans 16, 17 says almost the same thing to the, to the Romans that he said to the Philippians. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offences contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Just like the Philippian letter, Paul pleads, he pleads with the members of the Roman church that what he is about to tell them is super critical. Paul tells them to mark them. Just like the Philippians. And now to us. We should identify them to ourselves. And this doesn't mean that we go around and we say, Well, did you see, brother, so-and-so? I saw him going to watch a movie or whatever it is. This is not about going to everyone else and telling everyone every every bad thing that you see in in Christians. What this is to is to identify them to yourself. So you need to know who to avoid and who to emulate. But it does say we have to keep a mental register on certain people in the congregation who may come to it. The church on a regular basis that display certain characteristics that are not worth emulating. Do you understand? And Paul gives us a brief list over here. He says they cause division. Causing division means creating disharmony between people. This can be done by spreading false rumours, by spreading false expectations, by trying to create a personal following within the church. This is, an, I'll give you an example. A member goes around saying, you know, the pastor, I'm, he should be preaching more on this. He should be preaching more on faith, more on hell, more on the way we dress, more on alcohol, more on, do you understand, don't you? And instead of going to the pastor, he goes around and tells everyone else about it. So he undermines what the pastor is actually doing. He also says here that cause offences contrary to doctrine. They do those things which are forbidden by biblical doctrine or contradict scripture with their words or actions. In the past, we have had a number of people who have come into our church and have sought to change the doctrine of our church. It's not unusual. We are surrounded by so many different doctrines in this, in this, uh, in this society, so many different types of churches, who don't base first of all their their doctrine on the Bible but who once they come into a church see that it doesn't match their own expectations and what they try to do is actually they they try to go around and infiltrate the church and start sowing seeds with their own doctrine there have been a few in the last 10 years or so and these people it's interesting they seem fine They'll seem even super spiritual. But the bottom line is, they have an agenda that they're trying to follow. They have an agenda to change the church they've come to. To change the doctrine of the church. And what happens is, it begins to sow confusion. On another note, there are those who come into a church who are happy to lead people astray into, into, into sin. Into sinful Into sinful practices. So they are a bad example from that perspective. And it's interesting to see what Paul says here. He says that the people who do these sorts of things, he says, by good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. So they can, they can talk to the talk. They can talk to talk, and they, and they go first to those who are more vulnerable in the church, the ones with less discernment. The ones with weaker defences. Ones that are easily fooled and looking for someone to follow. So what's Paul's advice on how to deal with these individuals? He says, avoid them. Avoid them. It doesn't necessarily mean to be rude to them. It just says, avoid them. Don't spend too much time with them. Don't spend much of your time. Don't get drawn into the gossips and all the, and all the, uh, the talk and their chatter. Don't waste your time in constant debates with them. Paul says avoid them why are we to avoid them because if you've committed your heart to following Christ and to be as close to him as you possibly can then you will not be looking and spending your life with people who aren't like him is that simple enough you're not going to be spending all your time you're not going to be spending your effort being with people who aren't who don't care about following Christ You'll want to be the people who are better than you. So you can learn from their example. There's an old saying that says, birds of a feather flock together. Unfortunately, that's true in many cases. There is a danger if you're constantly drawn to people who are walking away from God rather than walking to God. Would you agree with me on that? If you're constantly drawn to people if you love the company of, if you love the discussions with people who don't care about God, then the odds are you're a similar bird. It may tell you that your flesh has maybe seduced you and you're being allowed by, led around by your flesh rather than by the Spirit of God. And this, once again, this is repeated over and over and over in Scripture as well. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Proverbs 13, 20 says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Beware the company you keep. Beware where you spend your time. Because it's inevitable. If you think you're so spiritually strong that you can spend all your time or much of your time, with people who are ungodly and not be affected by them, then you kid yourself. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communication hath light with darkness? I mean, we, we know that's true in marriage. That's true in, that's true in everyday life, outside of marriage. If you like to emulate those people who are ungodly, then who is it that you're trying to be? You see, teenagers teenagers struggle with this part of their lives. Teenagers go through periods in their lives where they're struggling with their own identity. They're trying to formulate their own identity. So what do they do? They look at other people, you know, people that are successful, people that are People that are, are, are rich or people that have certain talents—they look at them and they say, "I'd like to be like him, 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 and him," and then they begin to follow those people in their lives. It's very typical in our culture. They look, they to find their identity. They try and find it in other people. They idolize sports stars, rock stars, movie stars—all these stars out there. It's incredible. But generally there's only one worth emulating. the The Bible calls the bright and morning star. There is one star. The rest are not stars. Not worth emulating. There is one star, and that's Christ. That's why Paul says to the Philippians and the Romans, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly whose glory is in their shame. And in, in, he says it in Philippians, in Romans he says, For they are such as serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Many walk in, in a way whose end is going to be destruction. So if you're following that person and you're, you're someone who's saved, how does that even match? It doesn't go together. The end of their particular race is destruction, both in this life and in the next. They have not run the race that they were supposed to run. Instead, they have chased a prize other than Christ. What are they chased after? Well, the Bible says here, whose God is their belly. Their own desires are what drive them. Their own lusts are what give them their goals. They may simply be clothed in a a garment of religion and faith. Their true God is their own appetites. Fame, popularity, admiration, maybe power over people. They are no more holy than the Pharisees and the Sadducees who fought over simple folk just to boost their own ego. They are their own prize. And in the end, they will receive the prize they fought hard to get. They will gain themselves. And you know what will happen? Jesus warned us about it. He says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 39, He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loses his, he loseth his life for my sake shall find it. These people find themselves, and they get exactly what they strove for. And what do they find with themselves? Nothing. Absolutely nothing, but eternity away from God. And he says his glory is in their shame. They don't live to glorify the living God. They glorify themselves. They spend their lives glorifying their own ambitions, their own achievements. And in the end, the Bible says they will be ashamed for it. What glory they believe they have in this life. What achievements they've been able to to create. They will look back on their life and they'll say, what a completely waste of time that was. I should have been chasing another prize. And now I've got nothing to show. And it says they mind earthly things. It says their eyes are not on Christ. They're not imitating him. They find no value in him, so they, they look for things of value in the world. They spend their times chasing after their own belly. But the Bible teaches that the one to be who is going to be glorified is the one that, in the end, every knee shall bow to. Every tongue will confess it. Everyone, whether they're believers now or whether they're not. Whether they die saved or whether they, whether they die unsaved, everyone will eventually bow a knee and confess that he is Lord. Let me close by asking you some questions. From what are you running today? From what are you running? Paul tells us to flee, run away, people that are bad examples to us. Let me share a story with you. Some time ago, newspapers carried a story of a young fellow named William who was a fugitive from the police. The teenager had run away with his girlfriend because his parents had been trying to break them up. So he took his girlfriend and ran. What William didn't know was that an ailment that he had been seeing the doctor about was actually just diagnosed. And it was cancer. So he'd run away from home with his his girlfriend. And they diagnosed at the same time that he actually had cancer. But he didn't know about it. Now he was William doing his best to elude the police. Lest he lose his love. While they were doing their best to find him lest he lose his life. He thought they were after him to punish him. They were really after him to save him. And you know what William's a representative of? Every man whose guilt tells him that he has to run away from God. (coughs) Deep down, every man is guilty. And there's two ways you can deal with it. Every man knows that he's a sinner, that he's not correct, that there's something not right in his life. So people either spend their, their lives running away from God because they they believe he's a a nasty being who's going to punish them if he ever gets his hands on them. Or they can do the other thing and come to him when they understand that he actually loves them and wants to save them. If you're unsaved today, or if you're not sure, there's no need to run. There's no need to run away from God. God's not chasing you to harm you. God is chasing you to save you and from the situation that you're in. The first thing you must realise is that there's something wrong with your life. There is something not right and you won't fix it with your own efforts. The other thing you need to understand is that God loves you and he made a way to save you. And until you turn around and run to him, And run into his arms. You will always be running. And you will never find peace. Because the only peace that you will ever find in your life is when you are with him. God loved you enough that he came, that he sent his son to this earth to suffer and die for you. So that you wouldn't have to. He offers you salvation as a free gift. If you would simply stop running away from him. Once you receive him as your Lord and Saviour, you can have a new start in life. A new life that will never leave you. If you don't know Christ today, now is your opportunity to receive an incredible gift. A brand new life. A new start. An eternal home. A new relationship that you never had before. Which is the most important relationship you can ever have. Please come and speak to me or someone else that you trust if you aren't there yet. Because don't be like those ones who were in the church who were playing the game the whole time only to find that in the end they weren't real. Don't be like that. And if you're a Christian today and you've been led astray by someone who you've been following because you've been happy to follow a bad example, and now is a time to repent of that as well. Don't be confused because bad company breeds bad manners. If there's something that you are regretting today or that you're ashamed of today, today then is the time and your opportunity to actually get that resolved with your Saviour. Don't waste another day avoiding Him, not speaking to Him, Allowing your, your problem to actually be a burden on your own shoulders. The Bible tells us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Seek to follow that which is right. Reject that which you know to be wrong. And if you're not sure, ask someone who does. God bless you all. Thank you very much.